So when I was in high school, our uh, band would do a trip to Disney every four years, our high school band. So that trip fell on uh, my senior year, and so we flew down to Florida maskless. That's weird to think about, but we flew down to Florida maskless. We arrived at Disney, we did a day at the park. The next day, we were going to march on a parade at the Magic Kingdom. And so that day, our, our bus went to what Disney calls backstage. Okay, it's like where all of the setup happens. So there's all these signs that say, you know, no cell phones, no cameras, no cell phones, no cameras. And I figured out why, because as we got backstage to get our uniforms on, I saw Mickey Mouse with his head off and under his arm, walking next to Donald Duck with his head off under this other person's arm, right? And in that moment, uh, my love for Disney, which, let me be clear, is a covenantal and everlasting love. Uh, it was disenchanted just a tiny bit, okay? But I wonder if maybe we've all had maybe some moments of disenchantment in our lives when the magic of the world kind of goes away. Um, maybe it was when your parents divorced. Uh, Pam in the office, uh, she says, when her parents split up, she says, you know, when you're a kid, you think your parents are soulmates. Her world is a little disenchanted. Maybe it was when you were diagnosed with an untreatable illness. I think part of the problem that COVID has presented our world is that it has disenchanted us from thinking that science can save us and fix everything, right? Maybe it was uh, when you sometime in high school or in your early 20s realized that your body was just never gonna look like the bodies you see on TV. Maybe it was when you were abused by a husband or a parent or a coach or a teacher. Maybe it was when you realized that someone you thought you knew so well wasn't actually at all who you thought they were. There are these moments in our lives where we experience disenchantment. Mary Shelley writes of this kind of moment of disenchantment in Frankenstein. She says, when I reflect my dear cousin, on the miserable death of Justine Moritz, I no longer see the world and its works as they before appeared to me. Before I looked upon the accounts of vice and injustice that I read in books or heard from others as tales of ancient days or imaginary evils, at least they were remote and more familiar to reason than to the imagination. But now, misery has come home. And men appear to me as monsters thirsting for each other's blood. I no longer see the world and its works as they before appeared to me. Disenchantment. We live in a cultural moment marked by disenchantment and disillusionment. It's a moment when, in the words of Mary Shelley, all of the world and its works no longer are as they before appeared. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, we all read this in high school, is a work of a bygone era. A time when we believed in mystery, when we believed even in the divine. Charles Taylor, a, a philosopher who writes a lot on secularism, says, 
Almost everyone can agree that one of the big differences between us and our ancestors of 500 years ago is that they lived in an enchanted world and we do not. At the very least, we live in a much less enchanted world. He says that the enchanted world was one in which forces could cross a porous boundary and shape our lives. Today, he says we live with a much firmer sense of the boundary between the self and the other. Charles Taylor is a philosopher whose writings reflect deeply on our secular age, and he's writing here about the difference between what he calls the porous self, which is open to divine influence and interruption, and the, and, and the buffered self, which has closed itself off to any such experience. A good example of this is in the Chronicles of Narnia, right? Lucy and her siblings tumble through a wardrobe to find themselves in a world just beyond our own. It's a world that you can enter by looking at a painting or through any of these number of magical means. They meet Aslan and, and all of these characters and all of these people and they become part of this world. But as the series goes on, you come to find that Lucy's older siblings have moved from a porous self where they could experience the magic of Narnia at any moment to a buffered self. They've decided that this thing that they experienced together as children was just something that they made up. They decide that it's beneath them. They decide that it's childish. They move from an enchanted world, a poor self, where at any moment they could tumble in and find Mr. Tumnus and Mr. Beaver, right? They move to this buffered self where all of that is to be left behind them. It's a really great example of this idea of an enchanted world versus a disenchanted world. Last week, I mentioned uh, that somebody in our, our community had mentioned to me a coworker that, it's, that isn't just disinterested in Christianity. They have no interest in spirituality of any kind, right? Yoga, no. Horoscopes, no. Like, no, no, no spirituality at all. It, it's the very definition of a buffered self. They've, they've closed themselves off entirely from the possibility of interruption and intervention from divine, from the other. It would never occur to them, for that matter, to look to Jesus for their answers of truth, beauty, and goodness. Instead, what the buffered self does is it looks inward. Because when you have cut, cut yourself off, from intervention and interruption from the outside, the only place to look for meaning is now inside. Your options for meaning and morality is to turn inward, to find which desires lie inside of you and to pursue them, to follow your heart, to follow your dreams. And so here's what's happened. Oh, sometime along the way, we've disenchanted the world. Somewhere along the way, we've made it so that it's like a bad marriage going on decade four. There's no spark. There's no magic. There's no, in our world, divine intervention. There's, there's no world beyond this world. And I'm bringing all of this up in our series on show and tell, on proclamation and demonstration of the gospel, because what I'm actually saying is that there's a great opportunity before us to be people who are engaged in demonstration of the gospel, who become people who re-enchant the world. To become people who become agents of re-enchantment. Of re to show the world that 
there's magic there. Have you ever, have you ever seen the movie Shock a Lot? Have you seen that? It's like from the 90s, or the early 2000s. So the movie Shock a Lot, it opens on this very drab, bland French town. And everybody is dressed in muted colors. The whole city is in muted colors until, can you pull up that picture for me, Amanda? Until this woman wearing a bright red coat and her daughter wearing a bright red coat enter the town and they open a chocolate shop. And it totally changes the way the town works, right? Um, all of our best stories are actually stories of re-enchantment because there's Bilbo Baggins hanging out in his hobbit hole eating five times a day living his normal life. Maybe there's dragons out there, but he's never seen them. He's heard stories of elves, but he's never seen them. And then one morning, Gandalf the Grey is outside his door, a wizard inviting him to go on an adventure. In Star Wars, Luke Skywalker is just living on his aunt and uncle's moisture farm, hoping to join the rebellion, languishing in this far corner of the galaxy knowing that there's action out there somewhere. And then a droid his uncle buys for cheap displays a message. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. And then Luke discovers that the old man living over the next sand dune isn't some old crazy hermit. He's a Jedi. And the next thing you know, Luke has been swept up into this whole world, this world that is actually re-enchanted. All of our best stories... All of our best stories are about a disenchanted world that becomes re-enchanted. They're stories of buffered selves, right? They're stories of buffered selves that have closed themselves off to the possibility of the interruption and intervention of the divine that then a wizard knocks on the door and now a whole new world of possibilities is open to them. All of our best stories are about re-enchanting a world without magic. And my contention this morning is that you and I, through demonstration of the gospel, have an opportunity to be the wizard knocking on the door. You and I have an opportunity to become agents of re-enchantment in the world. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians is a letter that Paul writes to one of the churches that he helped start. It's an influential church. It's a growing church. It is one of the most dysfunctional churches in history. Uh, when I am inclined to think, you know, if we could just go back to the beginning. Naturally to us, some of us are especially fruitful in them because they're kind of like our Holy Spirit superpower, right? And, um, but in, in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul is wanting to explore two gifts in particular that through their misuse have kind of caused the gathered space at the church to kind of go a little crazy. And those two gifts are tongues and prophecy. And, and I don't want to give a full-blown explanation of these things. If you wanted that, you would have come yesterday. Uh, my assumption is, or you already know about them, but basically to say this, um, both, both tongues and prophecy are spirit-inspired utterances. It's a way that we hear God for others and communicate on behalf of God to others, but we do it with an attitude of building up. Um, tongues, it's, it's a language of men or angels. It requires interpretation in the gathered space. I mean, somebody's got to come up and say, hey, that's what that means. Um, 
a person in both cases, they remain in total control of who they are. It's not like they're taken over. In fact, that's a difference. This is interesting. That's what would happen to like priests and priestesses in these other temples in Corinth and Ephesus is they, they would be overtaken by a spirit, totally lose control, right? The difference is it's the Holy Spirit partnering with a person, not controlling a person. Paul says uh, that he would, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, I'd really like it if you all spoke in tongues. I'd really, really love it if you could all prophesy. Prophecy is, um, it's hearing God for others. It, it's hearing God for an individual or a group. It takes the shape of a word or an image or a passage of scripture. It's got to be weighed in community. Uh, there's no more, thus saith the Lord, we're not Old Testament prophets. It will always, always align with scripture. And so there's these, but what the problem is, is like everybody in the Corinthian church, they're like, yelling over each other and speaking tongues over each other and now like people are coming in and they're like I don't know what's going on at that church but they are crazy <laughs> right and so Paul's trying to address this so in 1 Corinthians meet me in now chapter 14 verse 22 that was un unreasonably fast but you're smart you got it so verse 22 so you see that speaking in tongues is a sign not for believers but for unbelievers Prophecy, however, is for the benefit of believers, not unbelievers. Even so, if unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your church meeting and hear everyone speaking in an unknown language, they will think y'all are crazy. Verse 24. But if all of you are prophesying and unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your meetings, this is where I want us to focus on. They will be convicted of sin Judge and judge by what you say, verse 25. As they listen, their secret thoughts will be exposed and they will fall, near, fall to their knees and worship God, declaring, God is truly here among you. Paul, in those opening verses, is kind of trying to say, you know, when you're in the big public gathered space, let's put tongues in the back seat, let's give prophecy a front seat if you're going to do it at all. Um, because that word of prophecy, when someone hears it, if, if we're prophesying, if somebody has a word from the Lord, and there's somebody in the back of the room that's a non-Christian, something might be said that Paul says, look at this. He says, they'll come into your meeting, and, and they'll be convicted of sin, and they'll be judged by what you say. As they listen, the, their secret thoughts will be exposed, and they will fall to their knees and worship God, declaring God is truly here among you. Here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that we re-enchant the world by moving in the manifestations of the Spirit. We re-enchant the world by moving in the manifestations of the Spirit. This is why our, we have an interest in a naturally supernatural lifestyle because we, everybody, so many people in our lives are living with a buffered self. They're living with a buffered self. They've closed themselves off to the possibility of divine intervention and interruption. And as we talked about last week, a lot of your non-Christian friends and family already know what you're going to say. They already know what you're going to say. And so they've closed themselves off. There's not really an argument that's going to pierce the buffered self. But Paul says in this passage, he says, a person with a buffered self, right? A person who has closed themselves off to the possibility of supernatural a person who has secret thoughts and hidden in their deepest selves. 
moving in the manifestation, the spirit might reveal that in such a way that all of a the sudden their buffered self becomes a porous self. They fall to their knees. They say, surely God is in this place. We re-enchant the world, not with magic wands, but with true spiritual power, with the same power that brought creation into being and that raised Jesus from the dead. I mean, imagine... Imagine a friend of yours that has no interest in spiritual things is healed when you pray for them. Imagine if you pray for a non-Christian friend of yours and the Lord gives you a prophetic word for them that cuts to the deepest part of their heart. I mean, imagine if we became a church where people were supernaturally healed physically and spiritually, where people were set free from trauma and anxiety and depression. This, this is what it means to move in the manifestations of the Spirit. It's how we punch a hole through the ceiling to let the light in, right? We've created this world where we've buffered ourselves off and God might be out there, but I don't know who he is. And it's moving in the manifestations of the spirit. It's becoming agents of re-enchantment. It's a demonstration of the gospel in power, which means you and I get to be Gandalf the Grey knocking on the door. You and I get to be Obi-Wan handing Luke his lightsaber. And if you don't think that I think that's the coolest thing in the world, you're wrong. <laughs> Nerds rejoice, right? So how do we, how do we become agents of re-enchantment? How do we become agents of re-enchantment? Paul explains this in Galatians 5. So flip with me to Galatians 5. Galatians, Ephesians... Philippians. It's first and second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, go eat pizza, G-E-T, and then, so we're going to be in Ephesians 5. Starting in verse 16, Paul says, in verse 16, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. If you're, like a, if you're a new Christian in the room, if you're a new Christian in the room, like you, you put your faith in Jesus and all of a sudden like this thing that you'd like to do, you're not all that interested anymore. It's really weird. If you're a non-Christian in the room and like you find yourself doing things that you don't want to do, Let's give your life to the Holy Spirit and see if he can help start to change those desires, yeah? So Paul says, um, the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. The Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. Verse 19, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Not sure that our cultural moment is one that's demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. It seems to be demonstrating the fruit of other things, right? Division, dissension, anger, quarreling. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Right? But then Paul says this in verse 22. But the Holy Spirit produces 
this kind of fruit in our lives. As if to say, the Holy Spirit dwelling within you will cause these sorts of things to come out of you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things there is no law. Notice this, that for Paul, for Paul, being an agent of re-enchantment has far more to do with who you are than what you do. Being an agent of re-enchantment has far more to do with who you are than what you do. It has way more to do with your character than your competency. That's why in 1 Corinthians 13, that passage that we read at weddings, right? It's actually not about your wedding. It's actually about using the gifts in a way that's loving, right? Because you can be as competent in the gifts, you can be super powerful in the gifts, and if you are a jerk, please go away. Please get off my team, right? Right? Being an agent of re-enchantment begins with having the character of Jesus, possessing the fruit first and then the gifts, right? Before we can have the competencies of Jesus, we have to take on his character. I don't, and we're going to get into this when we get into hypocrisy in a few weeks, but I don't care how gifted you are, how intelligent you are, how wise you are, if you aren't loving, if you aren't loving, if you don't have the character of Jesus, if you don't have his tenderness, his steadfastness, his consistency, his peace as you exercise those gifts. Uh, if you're flaky, if you are rude, if you are unkind, you are far more a hindrance to the movement of Jesus than you are help. That's just how it is. It's just how it is. You're getting in your own way. Here's the first manifestation of the Spirit. Here's how we begin to re-enchant the world. The first manifestation of the Spirit is a human person transformed into the image of Jesus. We are the sign that the world is being re-enchanted. Our transformed lives are to raise the horizon of what is possible for the people around us. It is to make them say, what if that really is a possibility? The first manifestation of the Spirit is a human person transformed into the image of Jesus, a person whose character has been and is being renovated at the very level of the heart to look more and more like Jesus. Here's the next manifestation of the Spirit. Look at verses 24 through 26 of Galatians 5. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and the desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified him there crucified them there. That, that's what it means to become a Christian. What does it mean to become a Christian? It means to take the passions and desires that control you, good, bad, or indifferent, and to nail them to the cross. It's to say to Jesus, not my way, but yours. That's what it means to become a Christian. It, to become a Christian means not to pretend to be the m most moral person in the room, but to be the first person to admit how immoral you are. Right? Because to become a Christian, it's, I've nailed my sins and passions to the cross. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Verse 25, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. That verse is engraved on the back of this watch. So that I kind of remember that. 
the next manifestation of the Spirit is following his leading. His leading. That's what this whole passage is about. Verse 16 says, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Verse 18 says, when you are directed by the Spirit. Verse 25 says, since we are living by the Spirit's power, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. The next manifestation of the Spirit well before we get to the miraculous stuff, is simply following his leading, being a person who is sensitive to the nudging of his spirit. Here's what I tried to do with this sermon. I tried to give you the impression that I was about to drive this, car, this sermon car off a cliff of now we're going to speak in tongues in church at 65 miles an hour to freak you out. But then what I did was just as our wheels were about to get to the edge of the cliff, I did a Yui. Okay, and here's where I'm taking us. I want us to become people who are sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. You want to demonstrate the gospel? Do you want to re-enchant the world? The first step is being aware of the Holy Spirit's leading. And, and here's what that looks like. It, it, some people use it, um, use the word uh, like a nudge from the Holy Spirit. Some people have referred to it as um, like a tap on the shoulder from the Spirit. Some people refer to it maybe like even as a gut instinct feeling is what it means to be led by the Spirit. Um, the Spirit tends to speak in a smil still small voice, and so sometimes it's not as loud as we want it to be. I, I used to run into people that would talk about I was God-smacked, like God smacked me. I hated that language because that's the language of condemnation, not conviction, right? Um, I never see Jesus ever in the gospel smacking anyone to get their attention, right? So there's these nudges of the Holy Spirit. Um, and you might think to yourself, I mean, just this week I was talking to Julia about something and I just felt this nudge to ask a very specific question. And, all it, and I, I got this nudge of like, I wonder if I should ask. No, just so you know, I'm not perfect in this at all. It's like, no, I'm not gonna ask that. And the conversation kept going. And the question kept like, just kind of like poking me in the, you know what I mean? So at a certain point, you just ask the question to make it stop, don't you, right? Um, and, I, and in asking, I was right about what I was asking, which was wild. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm actually pretty dense. I tend to move pretty quick. So I, I miss way more of these than I get. Um, it's rarely for me a gut feeling. I think for Steph, it's almost more of a gut feeling, wouldn't you say? Or like a, for me, it's more of like, um, like a thought that circles around and I miss it. It's like, uh, you know, in, vaca in European vacation, have you seen that movie Chevy Chase and they're stuck on the circle and he's like, look kids, Big Ben. Look kids, Big Ben. Look kids, Big Ben. Look kids, Big Ben. That's what it is. That's what nudges are for me because the Lord has to do it about five times for me to get it. Okay. Um, but here's, some people would say a, a prompting of the Holy Spirit would be like their heart starts racing, right? Like they know, Preston's nodding, because I think that's for him, kind of how it happens. It's kind of, God has wired you a certain way. He honors the way that you are wired. Um, old school people, like we are Puritans, we would call this the unction of the Holy Spirit. Um, but here's what it always invites. It, it always means like asking a question or taking a step or um, taking an action that you wouldn't normally just be inclined to do in that moment. It's like picking up the phone to call someone. 
uh, texting someone to say, hey, like, can I be, can I be praying for you right now, right? Um, it's uh, like offering to pay for someone's meal, right? It's, it's, it's just, it's not often. I think the Lord is really gracious. Very rarely in my life has a nudge meant do something really hard. A nudge has meant just do something a little unusual that's still fairly easy for the most part. Um, that, that's kind of what it means to be led by the Spirit is just to receive a nudge and then to follow through on it, right? Just to, just to kind of hear this bump and then that's what it means to be led by the Spirit. That's what it means to be guided by the Spirit. That's what it means to move in the manifestation of the Spirit having a transformed character, following the nudges of the Spirit, and then, yeah, practicing the gifts, right? Um, there's, there are manifestations of healing. There are Spirit-inspired utterances. There are moments when a person is so overcome by God's presence, they weep, they fall to the floor, whatever it is. Um, but we are asking and seeking and knocking to give our whole church, like, I picture, um, I kind of picture our church as like, there are some people that are like sprinting toward the supernatural. And there are other people that are like, that freaks me out. I'll just walk very slowly, right? And my, my, I want to bracket our whole church with a Holy Spirit dependence that includes nudges and like signs and signs and wonders. And actually, so yesterday at National Supernatural, we saw three people supernaturally healed. So Chris is one, Amanda is one, and then Ken, who attends the second gathering, is one. And there was maybe some more. Um, and if you have questions and skepticism about that, join the club. I do too. Um, but yet we're seeing that happen. And what I want to see our church bracketed in it, as we become a church that goes out and wants to give everybody in our neighborhoods and networks an opportunity to see, hear, and respond to the gospel, it's going to be all of us kind of being sensitive to the Lord's nudges and being guided by the Holy Spirit that's going to help us do this in this time to become agents of reenchantment, to be the people that take Mickey Mouse's head out of his arms and put it on the guy's head where it belongs. Okay? So we're going to do something very specific here in response time. So Steph's going to lead us in that, and then we'll take communion. So the band coming. So kind of as Kyle was acknowledging, we're all in different places on this, right? Like some of us um, are, are kind of ready. We're all in, and then others of us are like, Hmm, I'm like intrigued, but unsure, right? And we want to honor that. So I think this morning, um, as always, we want to be responding to what God is inviting you specifically to today. So not what Kyle thinks or what I think, but what the Father is inviting you to. And so um, we're just going to do a simple thing. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have everyone close their eyes. So this is totally between you and the Lord. Um, but I think we want to, uh, I just would like to pray over you. Um, that you would increase your dependence on the Holy Spirit. And so if you feel comfortable with your eyes closed, just hold out your hands as kind of a sign of like, I'm willing to receive you, Holy Spirit. I want to invite you to do that. If you don't, that's okay. Holy Spirit, we um, just come before you. Father, we come before you today. And we confess that for some of us, this is uncomfortable that for some of us, um, this is really weird and strange. That for some of us, this is exciting and something we've been praying for or waiting for. 
And I thank you, Father, that in your kindness and that in your, in comp in your compassion, that you see us and love us no matter where we are on that spectrum and that your heart is for us. So Father, for those that are uncomfortable today, for those that are uncertain, I just pray that they would have such a sense of your love and your comfort. Um, Holy Spirit, you are the comforter, scripture says, so I pray that you would be their comfort today. Father, for those that um, are kind of praying a prayer of like, I want to believe, help me in my unbelief, I pray that, Holy Spirit, that you would just make yourself um, more and more real to them, that as they seek you, that they would find you, that as they knock, that the door would be open, and that, Father, that they would hear your voice and be more and more sensitive to that and that when they hear it that they would be obedient scripture also talks about not quenching the spirit so when you hear the spirit i pray that you would be obedient to it father for those that are just longing for more and are all in i just pray that you would continue to come that you would show yourself faithful as they take risks to trust you and jesus i um pray over our whole church that we would be coming more and more like you, that this Holy Spirit dependency would not be about chasing gifts or any of that, but it would be about you, Jesus. So I just pray now for those of you that have your hands out, that you, Holy Spirit, that you would come, that you would give more and more of yourself to them. And I ask these things.